Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. I need to let you know today's message has a rating attached to it. Today's message is, is rated PG for uh, parental guidance. Uh, because uh, So if you are watching online right now, I suggest you pause the video. If you are doing laundry while the kids are next to you watching this sermon, just pause the video, send the little kids upstairs to go watch Peppa Pig or uh, <laughs> VeggieTales. So, Something like that. If you were in the room today and you brought your son or daughter, your child, uh, I would say under the age of 10 or so, to church because you thought it'd be easier to bring them in here. To, it's not going to be easier when you have to have the conversation with them on the way home. <laughs> and so I would suggest you download them over to Journey uh, uh, Kids, and uh, you can do that now because today we're going to be talking about sex, and I love how awkward it gets. Just saying that word in church, the oxygen left your body, your gluteus maximus clenched up when I said it, and sex, said it again, okay? And uh, listen, we're in a series called Relationships Built Different, and I want to talk about this, listen, not to be shocking, not to be uh, cutting edge, not to be controversial, I want to talk about this to be helpful. And so in a series called Relationships Built Different, uh, the title of today's message is Sex, built different, sex built different, if you're taking notes. And what do you mean different? Different because um, we are going to be building what we talk on uh, based on this book. We're going to go to the Bible as our dictionary for a definition of sex and uh, our manual for discovering how sex is supposed to be used in our life. So I just need to say off the bat, if you do not believe that this is the Word of God, um, and this is absolute truth, and you and I are going to disagree on a lot of the things we say today, and that's okay. Come back next week, right? Just keep coming, and we can just sing songs together, and it'd be awesome. But I just need you to know that what I'm sharing is not my opinion. It's not my version. It's what's written. Um, and I think that that's important that we get it from here and not from television or music or, or any of those other outlets or Hollywood or Nashville. Because let me tell you something about God. God designed sex. <laughs> God invented sex, and if God designed sex, then who better would know how it's to be used than the one who designed it? And you got to know how the person who designed it intended it for it to be used, because if you try and use something in a way that it's not designed to be used, you can hurt yourself. Case in point, Q-tips. How many people use Q-tips? We all use Q-tips. Use Q-tips this morning. I love Q-tips. I got big ears, so I love Q-tips. I get up when I get in the water. But I'll tell you the best part about using the Q-tip. The best part about using the Q-tip is right when you get in there. Ah. Oh, ah. Oh, I feel so good. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. That feeling when you get up in there, that's a good feeling, man. I'd be go deep in there if it's good. Ah. Feels good. But have you ever read the box of Q-tips? We all do this, but on the box, <laughs> the Q-tips box says, do not insert swab into ear canal. And we all 
We use it in a way it's not designed to be used. And I did some research, and because of that, there are at least, every day, 35 emergency room visits for Q-tip injuries or Q-tip-related injuries from people who were not using it as it was designed and did it, listen, because it just felt good to put it in. It's going to be that kind of Sunday. I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be that kind of Sunday. So just buckle up. Just, just, it felt good. But you need to learn early on in life that not everything that feels good is good. You can't judge the basis of your decisions on pleasure. Because pleasure will deceive you. And if you use something in a way that it's not designed, listen, it can hurt you. Y'all got that Q-tip? I'm going to need that for next service. Just go ahead. Repeat that for me, please. I appreciate that. Just hold on to it. Maybe clean it off a little bit because I'm going to put it in next service too. So, <laughs> You want to talk about the pain that sex can cause when it's used in an undesigned way? First off, let's talk about the fact that 36% of the internet, according to statistics, is pornography. Sex was not designed to be glorified. Because if you glorify sex in that way, then you increase the appetite of sex in a way that it was not designed to be in your life, which then leads us to use sex in ways that it's not meant to do, in ways that hurt people. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the fact that one in every six American women have been the victim of an attempted or completed rape in their lifetime. Look at the aisle that you're in. If you've got six women in that aisle, one, one of them have experienced an attempted or completed rape. That's crazy. That's not what sex was designed to be. One in 10 children will be sexually abused before the age of 18. That's wild. One in 10. One in five people carry STIs. That's wild. 40.3, there are 40.3 million victims of human trafficking worldwide. And 35% of them are children. And the major reason for the trafficking is the sex trade. And infidelity is the number one cause of divorce. Come on, y'all. It's not working. We're not using it as design, and it's hurting people. And so I think there's a better way, and I'm going to help you, but I want to give you some rules before I jump into the helping, before we hear this message, all right? So rule number one, listen to me, Journey Church is a no-bashing zone. You're going to hear some things, and you're going to think about some people while I'm preaching these things. Don't take snippets of today's sermon and DM them to other people trying to project the Holy Spirit's application on your life on them. It's not for them. It's for you, which is my second point. Journey Church is a no fronting zone. And for those who are not uh, akin to the language of the young people today, fronting means we don't pretend. We don't put on a mask. What do, I, what do I mean? I'm saying this message is for you and you know it. And you know it. According to statistics, if I were to speak on alcoholism today, 6% of the people in this room have an alcohol disorder. That means 6% of the people would relate to that message. If I were to speak on mental illness, according to statistics, 25% of the people in the room today suffer from some form of diagnosed mental illness. But according to science, not statistics, listen, 100% of the people in this room are sexual beings. So don't you pretend for one moment like this message is for someone else. If you're breathing, God's going to speak to you today. Because our sexuality is a part of our life. It's not to be hidden, it's not to be buried, it's to be embraced and understood 
and used in the way that God intended it to be used. So if you're taking notes, here's my first point. Sex is built to be good, but not God. There's a difference. God is good. Sex is good. Sex is good, but not God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. Let's just talk about the fact that God first built sex to be good. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Next verse, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, (laughs) yeah, I bet he did say that, (laughs) because that's what I said on my honeymoon night, too. At last. <laughs> yeah. That's how Christians, when Christians get married, I'll tell you what. Okay. We've been waiting. At last. At last. You can say amen at some of this stuff or laugh at some of this stuff. It's all good. I just, I know you don't know the proper moment to say amen in the sermon on sex, but it's whenever you feel it. Okay. So verse 24, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united. Notice that joined and united are two separate words, yet they are conjoined. They are connected because when you join with someone, you unite with someone. Verse 25, this is what I really want to hit first, though. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt, say those last two words words with me, no shame. We have to remove the shame from the topic of sex, or God cannot help us navigate our issues with it if we're ashamed to talk about it. One of, um, I share this story I'm about to share at our Freedom Conference every year, and uh, it was about when we first started the church, I went in for my physical, and when I went in for my physical, there was a nurse, and we were waiting for the doctor to come, and she was checking my blood pressure and my temperature and all those things. And then, um, you know, we started talking. She was so nice. She's like, what do you do for a living? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a pastor. And we just started a church here. Oh, that's cool. Where? Then we started talking, find out she's from Connecticut. I got family in Connecticut. The conversation continues and finds out that we had the same pastor growing up. So I'm like, wow, this is crazy, a divine God moment. She's like, yeah, my kids are looking for a church to go to. Do you have a youth group? Oh, we have the best youth group in Journey Youth. You're going to love it. Come on, it'd be awesome. She's like, awesome. I'm coming on Sunday. I was like, great. That'd be great. Then the doctor comes in. Doctor checks my eyes. Doctor checks my ears. And after he's done checking me all up here, he says, okay, now, drop your pants. (laughs) And I'm looking at the lady I just invited to church. (laughs) I'm sorry. We exchange personal information about each other. <laughs> now I'm looking at the doctor and I'm like, hey man, like, I'm good. <laughs> like, I got zero complaints. Can we just go on without this uh, portion? He's like, nope, you got to I was like, but I really don't want to. And he looked at me and said, I'll never forget. He said, I can't heal what you hide. Wow. Now, um, I don't know if that lady ever came to church. (laughs) If that lady is in church right now, please don't introduce yourself to me. (laughs) I don't think I could get through a sermon if I knew you out here and you see me naked. (laughs) I can't do it. But I'll never forget it because I think it applies to God. Hear me. God can't help what we hide. They call it private parts for a reason. Because we're almost trained to keep them secret. And so then the good doctor, the good physician can never get to that area of our life because we've been trained to keep it hidden. And so we got to be honest and transparent 
uh, about it. And so we got to eliminate the shame. All right, now, what is sex built for? Uh, number one, listen, sex is good for pleasure and procreation. It's good for pleasure. Sex is pleasurable. Say amen. 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 See, that's a good time to say amen. <laughs> There's some teenagers in here who are like, I mean, I heard. I don't <laughs> Amen, but I don't know. <laughs> and if you don't agree, uh, you're doing it wrong. It's, 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 it's going to be that kind of Sunday. Um, it's, it's, but did you ever wonder why it's pleasurable? Because the person who designed the relationship between a husband and a wife designed it as a metaphor for the relationship between Christ and the church. And so the reason why sex is pleasurable between a husband and a wife is because serving God is pleasurable. And if you don't agree... You're doing it wrong. <laughs> Coming to church should be a joy. Worshiping God should be a joy. Reading your Bible should be a joy. Singing songs should be a joy. Getting in small groups should be a joy. Serving on the dream team should be a joy. It's a pleasure to serve my God. It's not a burden. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. All right? So, but it's also useful for procreation or producing, even if the thing that we're producing is not a baby. Some people get married, they have sex, they don't have kids. But there is one thing that is always produced when you have sex, and that is unity, because sex is good for unity. Sex is good for unity. When you think about it, sex is the only biological function that cannot be performed by itself. You, you can sleep by yourself. You can eat by yourself. You can breathe by yourself. You can go to the bathroom and relieve yourself by yourself. But God designed sex to require, by design, two people, because you can't have sex by yourself. I mean, <laughs> should we talk about it? Let's talk about it. I mean, technically, you can have sex by yourself. But this is why masturbation is so dangerous to your psyche and your soul, because it allows you to be selfish with something that was designed to be shared. And what it does subconsciously is it begins to warp your entire approach towards intimacy so that when you finally do get a partner, you don't approach sex as a moment to be shared, but as something to be taken, as something to be used. That's why I need you to dress that way, do that position, bend like that, act like that, because this isn't about what makes you comfortable. This is what gets me off. Because wow. that's how I trained myself as a teenager and as an adult, that this is for me. Wow. Are we getting... Is this okay? Y'all breathing? I told you to put your kids in Journey Kids, but this is going to help somebody. If we're real honest, this is going to help. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so, and it's, so it's not meant, it's, not, it's, meant, it's meant for bonding. It's meant for putting two people together. It's interesting when you study a woman's body and this hormone called oxytocin, the scientists call it the bonding hormone because it's released at three points in a woman's life. One is when she gives birth to a baby. The body releases oxytocin to bond that mother with that newborn child. The second time a mother releases oxytocin is when she is nursing the baby because the oxytocin is creating a bonding moment between that woman and that child. The third moment when a woman releases oxytocin is when she has sex, bonding her to the person that she is having sex with. So single person, the question is not who do you want to have sex with? The question is who do you want to be bonded to? Because there are some guys that are good for a night that are not good for a whole lifetime. And you are bonding yourself to them when you take on, ask that question. 
Marry people, let me help you out. That means that if having sex can make two married people feel united, then not having sex can make two married people feel like they're falling apart. Now, if you're not having sex, don't just amen this part. Tap your neighbor and be like, tap your, <laughs> tap your spouse and be like, you see what the pastor said? <laughs> We're falling apart. Because let, let me get even more real. Sex is not the problem. Sex is the symptom of the problem. You're not not having sex because you don't find each other attractive. You're not having sex because there's a relational issue that is not going to be resolved with more sex. There is something deeper. I wrote it like this. Sex is good for maintenance, but not repair. If you want to improve your sex life, go to marriage counseling. Talk to somebody. Sit down with a pastor. Read your Bible. Get, get in a small group. Uh, get the relationship built. Start serving. Throw out the trash. Buy her flowers. Do the things that you need to do to increase the level of intimacy. But sex is good for maintenance, not for repair. All right? Now, that's the good part. Here's the not God part. Because sex is meant to be a partnership, not worshiped. It creates. It's two people together. That's what it's meant to do, but it's not meant to be worshipped. It's crazy when you look at the history of humanity, how many religions base their entire, how many cultures, excuse me, base their entire uh, religion on sex. Sex religions, sex cults. Go to any museum in the world, and you will find a section of that museum dedicated to phallic symbols, dedicated to women organs, dedicated to breasts and the sculptures. And it was when Pastor Liz and I were in Iceland, there was an entire, they call it phallological museum. Let me just translate that for you. Penis museum. <laughs> the largest in the world. Fun fact. The largest penis museum in the world is in Iceland. How do I know? I didn't go. <laughs> but I got like eight brochures when I landed off the plane about this museum. On the study and the history, sex has been something that has been worshipped throughout humanity. And before you say, we don't do that anymore, I would uh, encourage you to consider the fact that we got women in bikinis selling burgers and cigarettes. Because what corporate America knows is that sex has power to influence Sex has power to lead. Sex has power, if we're not careful, to lord and to get you to make decisions in its favor because sex has the power to be a God in our lives. How do I know if sex is our God? Well, if sex is our God, we obey it, no matter the cost. And so you'll have a, a person, you know, not sleeping with their spouse, and, and because they're not sleeping together, somebody else comes along, and then they give in, they have sex with that person, and instead of even feeling bad about it, they justify it, because I got needs. I got to obey those needs. Obey the thirst. You know, I got to go do it. I got to go do it. sex, because that's my, you wouldn't say it that way, but I had no choice. If sex is our God, we give to it, financially. I did some research, $127 billion in 2023 went to religious organizations, praise the Lord. You guys were very generous last year, but it's not just Christian churches. It's Christian churches, Muslim mosques, Hindu temples, Jewish synagogues, all of them together, $127 billion given to God. The adult entertainment industry in 2023, $172.89 billion. Wild. You know how many houses have been mortgaged? How many retirement accounts have been emptied because their God asked for it and we had to please our God? This one hurts me the most. If sex is our God, we sacrifice to it. This, the reason why this hurts me is because in ancient cultures, people would actually throw their children into the fire. 
serving sex gods, sacrificing their babies and their children and for the fertility gods and, and the sex gods. And, and you would think, well, it's 2024, Pastor JJ. Nobody does that now. Really? You know how many children have been sacrificed at the altar of an affair? How many kids have been thrown in the fire because dad couldn't hold it together, mom couldn't hold it together? How many kids have been abandoned? You know how many ministries have burned and crashed to the ground? How many churches have been burned and crashed to the ground? How many families have been burned and crashed to the ground and sacrificed at the altar? In, In the old time, they would cut their wrists and pour blood on the altar of their sex gods. You know how much health we pour out at the altar sacrificing to sex gods? One in five, y'all, STDs, STIs, one in five. Just people doing it out there, no protection. Why? Because we want it. It feels good. We're literally sacrificing our body at its altar. Literally. And don't be deceived, y'all. I know that that moment seems like the moment. I know all you can think about in that moment is that moment. But hear me, an orgasm is the climax of sex, but it is not the climax of life. So be careful that you don't trade your life for a moment. Did you hear me? Life is going to go on after you put your clothes on. So you got to ask yourself before you lay down, is it worth what I'm about to give up? And most of the time, it's not. That's, there's better moments in life that you have to look forward to. Like, for example, uh, one of the better moments in your life is being able to walk your daughter down the aisle and look at her in the eye with honesty and integrity and her look at you being like, thank you for showing me what a marriage should look like, for keeping it together. Thank you for being an example of a man. Thank you for showing me that these vows can last and they can make it. You get to show that. Celebrating your 50th wedding anniversary. Come on, strolling down the streets of Cabo in your walker. We did it, babe. Come on, that's a great moment. That's a great moment. And you're going to give up that moment for a weaker moment. It's not worth it. So it's built to be good, but not God. Here's my, here's my next one. Listen, sex is built for marriage, not bondage. Marriage, not bondage. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him, trap who? Trap Jesus with this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, this is a question about sex and marriage, and it's being posed to Jesus, and it's an explosive question. It's an explosive question because at the time of the question being asked, Judea is being ruled by someone named Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas had just divorced his wife for another woman. So the question is not random, it's targeted. When he divorces this woman, John the Baptist, who's a prophet at the time, stands up to Herod and says, hey, you claim to be Jewish, but you're not abiding by the scripture. What you're doing is unbiblical. And then Herod Antipas responds to John the Baptist by cutting his head off. So when the Bible says that the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus... Now you know what they were actually trying to do. They were trying to get him to condemn Herod. Let me translate it into 2024 language. They were trying to get Jesus to say something that would get him canceled. And what I'm about to tell you that Jesus said might get me canceled. But Jesus said it. I'm just repeating it. And this is how Jesus responds. He gives them two controversial ideas. Not controversial as much then as it is today, but very controversial today. The first idea he's proposing to them is that sex is designed to be enjoyed only within marriage. That's very controversial in today's day and age. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 says, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus is replying, this is his answer. They record that from, and I love how he went to the scriptures. Isn't that cool? 
Not have you heard Herod? Not have you heard John? Did you hear what the Bible said? This is our approach. Have you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female, and he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined, remember joined is Bible code for sex, they had sex, and then they are united into one. What God has joined, let no man separate, right? He's telling them, listen, sex is good, but it's designed for marriage and marriage only. Proverbs says the same thing, Proverbs 5, 15 through 16. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? Why does Jesus tell us that marriage is the place to contain sex? Because marriage provides commitment and protection. Sex without commitment does not serve you well. And so to illustrate that, I'm going to light this fire, and this fire is going to represent the passion of <laughs> the passion of sex, and, uh, and since my wife is the only person I can have sex with, or, or want to have sex with, uh, for that matter, we're going to do a little quick illustration where we are sharing this moment, and so as her and I share this candle, right, this is sharing intimacy. This only serves us if we're both committed to staying close to it. Did you catch that? We both have to be close for it to warm us both. But if one person decides to take the fire, well, that's what it feels like when you've had sex with someone and then you feel used at the end because they left. Because they took your fire. You thought we were sharing something. Come to find out they were using you for something. That's how that feels. Or maybe you don't know what it's like to be used. Maybe you're the person who, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, and then you bounce and you leave and you go. That's cool. But the moment you leave, it's extinguished because it wasn't designed to be lit by itself. You know what it's like not to feel used. You know what it's like to feel empty and have to pursue another lighting and another lighting and another lighting because it doesn't design, sex is not designed to fulfill you in isolation. And you say, well, I get that whole commitment thing, but why do you have to be married to have a commitment? It's just a piece of paper. Hear me? If it's just a piece of paper before you get married, it'll be just a piece of paper after you get married. If you don't respect the covenant beforehand, you won't respect it afterhand. I, I remember meeting a couple who helped us start the church. They had four kids. They were together, living together for 10 years. Uh, and then they got to Journey Church, and they got married. They got baptized. And I'll never forget the day he called me. I was at Starbucks. He called me from City Hall. And he said, Pastor, I got to tell you, we just, we, we, we made the decision. We got married. I was like, man, congratulations. That's so awesome. Doing it God's way, that's so great. He goes, and it's crazy. I love what he said. He said it. He said, I know it's just a piece of paper, but when we woke up the next morning, it felt so different knowing that she would be there no matter what. And knowing that I would be there no matter what. It's a level of commitment. Yeah. It's also there for protection, to keep you safe. If, if, if. Having sex is a fire. If sex is a, a burning fire, look at this campfire. This is an amazing instrument, this campfire. It can, you can cook on it. It can keep you warm in the cold nights. It can keep enemies away. It's, it's an amazing tool for tons of things. It can serve you well. But if you're not careful, this can become that. And I think that there are many people in the room today who would say, that's such a great picture of what sex has done to my life. What pornography has done to my mind, what my affair has done to my marriage and my kids, what it's done to my bank account and all the websites I'm subscribed to, and it's consumed me. Yeah. 
And the only difference between this and this is that. You missed it. The only difference between the campfire and the forest fire is the boundaries. Without boundaries, what was designed to serve you will consume you. So you have to set up a line and go, no, this is the extent of it, or else it's going to seep into the areas of my life. And Jesus is not done extending boundaries. He goes on to continue to extend the boundaries. And this is the second controversial thing he says. Second thing that might have got him canceled. I think the second thing that might get me canceled today, as Jesus continues with his definition, his manual on sex and marriage, Let's read it again as Christ sets more boundaries. He goes, Matthew 19, 4, haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined, sex, to his wife. And the two are united into one. If you were paying attention, when defining sex and marriage, Jesus addresses not just sex, the act, but sex and marriage, sex as the different reproductive organs. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm going to just go out and say, this is the point in the message today where I really sh felt strongly compelled to just talk briefly on same-sex attractions. And I need to let you know, as I begin to talk about it, I know that I'm not going to be able to say everything that there is to be said on the topic in the next 15 minutes that I have on that timer. And I also know that there are going to be snippets of what I say that get cut out, that get misquoted, that get taken out of context, that people are going to use to hate, and people are going to use to cancel, and people are going to use to disgrace. And, and I understand all of that, and having understood all that, I'm still willing to take that risk. Let's go. Because... Because we need help. Yes. And if we're not talking about it in a safe space like church, then we're having the conversation on where? YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, where wannabe theologians are all trying to push a perspective and a bias and, and to change and shift. And I don't want to hear what any of them have to say. I want to hear what God has to say about it. And I need you to know that two things. Listen, what Jesus says about this topic, it's not just Jesus who says it. Despite what some well-meaning, well-hearted people would have you believe, this is a very clear, undeniable topic in scriptures. I'm going to put some scriptures on the bottom of the screen for you. If you want to go home and study, if you want to go home and read them, you can take a picture of that. You can watch this back on, online on replay and then read them for yourselves. Here's my only request if you want to know more about this topic is, hey, why don't you dive into it yourself? Let God speak to you. Hey, Holy Spirit. I'm going to read these verses, you speak to me, and then I'm going to believe what you say to me in these scriptures. You just read that. But I wish another thing I could tell you is, I wish you knew me, because you don't know me. Oh, no, you're Pastor AJ, you're my pastor, and you have married Liz, you got Justice and Saint. Yeah, but you don't know me. Because if you knew me and you knew my heart, you would know how hard it is for me to talk about this topic because you don't know my aunt, you don't know my uncle, you don't know my brother-in-law and his husband and their family, and you don't know all the people that I grew up with. And so what I say, if you don't know me, is going to come out hurtful or offensive. But if you knew me, 
you would know that, that, that we built this church for the anyones, that my life is about making Jesus understandable and acceptable to people that might not have fit in in traditional church. And so instead of trying to speak to everyone, because I think if I spoke to everyone, I'd offend everyone, I want to speak to just three types of people today. And no matter who you are, you can identify as one of the three. I want to speak first to the heterosexual Christian, that is the Christian who is straight, who says, Pastor JJ, I really wish you didn't talk about this topic. It's making me feel uncomfortable, even more uncomfortable than the mass debate. Now I'm really uncomfortable, and, and, I, and I don't know what people can think of our church. It's so unnecessary, Pastor JJ. Why would you talk about this? It's unnecessary. Yeah, it's unnecessary until it's your son. It's unnecessary until it's your daughter that comes out. Until it's your brother, until it's your sister, until it's your aunt, until it's your uncle, until it's your best friend, then all of a sudden you are going to need language. You are going to need a heart. You're going to need to have a theology. You're going to have to believe certain things. And you're going to have to love them the right way. And this is why I'm trying to bring this topic today a little bit because I want to help you. Because let me tell you something about the church. And I'm going to be honest. The church has not done the best job on this. And there are people who have been damaged in the gay community, who have been hurt in the, because the church approached the topic with judgment and anger and hate and and separation, and it's time to redeem that narrative, okay? I, I remember my, uh, my, uh, my kids, they were, I could hear them fighting in, uh, downstairs. I was upstairs in my office, and then my youngest son did something bad, and my oldest son, Zane, did something bad, and my oldest son, I could hear him. I was in the office. He says, Zane Michael Vasquez. He pulled out the Pastor Liz card, the full name. Zane Michael Vasquez. He said, go to your room. He is like 16 months older than him. <laughs> Go to your room, and you better get there before I count to three. One, two. I busted out before he hit three. I came out and said, what happened? He said, Zane did this thing. Zane was wrong. Zane was bad. I said, but hold on. But you're not their dad. I'm their dad. Stop acting like their dad. It's my job to discipline. It's my job to correct. It's my job to judge. And it's my job to punish. You're not their dad. You're his brother. It's your job to love. It's your job to encourage. It's your job to accept. And if you want to warn them, warn them. But love them and protect them and keep them safe. Church, I love you with all of my heart. But hear this from the bottom of my heart, Christian. Stop acting like fathers and mothers and start acting like brothers and sisters. It's not your job to judge. It's not your job to punish. It's not your job to discipline. That's not what we're called to do as the church. We're called to warn, love, accept, but we're not called to judge. That's his job. You are not heaven police. You're not standing at the gates. Jesus is. So let Jesus be Jesus. You be JJ. You be Christina. You be Crystal. You be Brian. Because that's the only role that we can play really well. What if I actually am their dad? What if I actually am their mom and not have to have this talk with them? If you have a mom, if you have a friend, if you have a dad, if you have a son, listen to me. Never forget the legacy of this city and the Pulse shootings. The church should have no part in that. We should be the antidote to that, to hate and to, and to, to death. And to, so listen to me. If you are that parent and you have that conversation with your teenager, if you are that friend, here's what you need to do. Create a safe space by inviting listening, investing, and protecting those in the gay community. And I know that might be hard for some of us traditional Christians to accept and hear, but you know why you need to do it? You need to do it because Jesus didn't die for people who were like him. He died for people who weren't. And we have to be better at loving people who don't look like us, act like us, talk like us, or walk like us. 
We just have to be better. It's our job to love. It's God's job to be God. Second person I want to speak to today is maybe the unbeliever who's in the room today. And maybe you're gay, maybe you're not, maybe you're homosexual, heterosexual, and you would just say, I don't believe that doctrine, I don't believe that teaching, and I think that that's offensive, and I think that that's dangerous, and I think that that hurts and segregates the gay community. And I think just the fact that you would sit up there and teach it puts hundreds of people in danger, and, and I, would, I, would, I, would, I'd, I would debate that. I don't think that it's the doctrine or the theology at all. And I'll share with you a story to kind of illustrate my point. I know a minister, a, good, a great minister, who was raised by two moms, and he said that they were the best moms on the entire planet. They were like the best. And then he went to college, and he got saved, became a Christian. The way he explains the story is, now I had to go home, and I had to come out to my moms. <laughs> I had to come out to my moms. I'm a Christian now. And so I came out to my moms. You know what my moms did? They kicked me out. Because it's not a heterosexual issue or a homosexual issue. It's a human nature issue. We don't know how to treat people that don't believe what we believe. What's wrong with us? There are going to be people who sit in this building right now who loved this church, loved past tense, who called this church home, past tense, who were so excited to call me their pastor, but because I just said something that they don't believe with, all of a sudden they're not apart, all of a sudden they hate because we don't know how to treat people who believe differently. But let me tell you what Jesus did. He loved his enemies. And he died for those who thought differently and believed differently, knowing that they wouldn't accept. We got to be better, church, and we got to exemplify that within our own walls. We got to get along, even if we don't all agree. Because that was how Christ lived his life. Here's my last person I want to speak to today. That's the person who would identify and say, hey, I'm a Christian, Pastor JJ, but I also have a same-sex attraction. What about me? And if that's you today, I want to tell you, you're really who I wrote this message for. The first thing I want to tell you is, listen, you're welcome here. This is your church. Those words on that wall, when you walk into our Fern Park campus, in our East campus, on that, that fabric that's hidden up, the one that says to make Jesus accessible to anyone, we mean that when we say that. Amen. We mean that when we say that. Second thing is, I know you didn't choose this. A study was done recently on Christians who identified having same-sex attractions, and 96% of them reported that the first thing that they said when they found out or they realized that their attractions were being developed, the first thing they said was, oh, no, Lord, please take it away. I know you're wrestling with the idea of, did I choose this? Was I born this way? Let me tell you something. Science is unclear on the matter. There's no definitive proof either or. But also, why does it have to be only two choices? I speak English, but English is not a part of my DNA. Also, I didn't choose to speak English. We are the way we are because we are the way we are. That's not the most important thing. The most important for you to understand and hear is this, and you might have never heard this in church before, but you need to hear this. Listen, it is not a sin to have a same-sex attraction, just like it's not a sin for me, a married man, to have a different sex attraction with the woman who is not my wife because we're not responsible for our attractions. We're responsible for what we do in the midst of them. You don't know what it's like to have a same-sex attraction. No, but I know what it's like to have a different one. And it's hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes to resist that. Like, I live my life according to the way God. And, but, Pastor Asia, I understand. Why would God put those feelings inside of me if I'm not supposed to fulfill them? And, by the way, I'm not hurting anybody. That's a great question. I don't know. Why would God put a tree in the garden and then tell Adam and Eve not to eat it? 
And by the way, since when does eating fruit hurt anybody? Those are good questions, but they're not the better question. Here's the better question, and I say this with grace. I say this with love. Please hear my sensitivity. Here's the better question. The better question is, instead of asking all that, the better question is, are you willing to trust God enough to obey even if you don't agree or understand? And don't forget, that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was literally man saying, I'm going to decide what's right and wrong now. Not God. And that's what the enemy tries to do. He tries to get you to, sub, to substitute man's wisdom for God's word. Yeah. Pastor J.J., I don't know why you're talking about this. You're hurting a lot of people. You shouldn't have done it. People are going to leave. You're going to hurt. I'm not doing it to hurt people. I'm doing it because people are already hurting. People are hurting. You see them here. They look nice and fresh. You don't know what's going on inside. When nobody's looking, they're hurting, and we got to talk about it. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Listen, when you murder, you hurt someone else. When you lie, you hurt someone else. When you steal, you hurt someone else. But the Bible teaches that when we sin sexually, not just homosexual, heterosexual, all sexual sins, we're not hurting someone else. We're hurting ourselves. It damages us when we do it. And if you're here and you have pain in your life because of something that happened to you when you were younger, maybe you were molested, maybe you were one of those six who were raped, maybe you had some relationships before marriage and you got some guilt, some shame, maybe you carry some STDs, maybe, maybe you have a history, maybe you wrestle with this or that, and let me encourage you, let me tell you what Jesus was built for. I tell you what sex was built for, let me tell you what Jesus was built for. Jesus is built for pain, not shame. Not shame. If I did my job good today, you leave here encouraged, refreshed, educated, ready to live different or help somebody. But if the devil did his job today, you leave here ashamed, feeling guilty, feeling unclean. And I just want to bind his voice in the name of Jesus, any spirit of shame, any spirit of you're not good enough, any spirit of you're broken, any spirit of you're dirty. I bind that in the name. That is not the spirit or attitude of this message or God's word. And when I look at Jesus, he's so easy to relate to, but I got to be honest, when it comes to the topic of sex, I don't know that he relates to me as well. At least that's what I thought. Because I don't know if you know this, but Jesus, you know, kind of died a virgin. Facts. Interesting, you never thought about that before. But he did. So when I come to him with my betrayal, I go, God, you get me. Judas left you. When I come to him with my sacrifice, I go, God, Jesus, you get me. You died on the cross. Then when I come with him with my sexual sin, I go, God, you, you get me. Because I heard you got a virgin. So I don't even know if we can relate on this one. But then I read an important detail about the death of Jesus that I had missed before. John chapter 19, verse 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, ooh, they took his clothes. They took his clothes. I'm going to go to the screen real quick for this closing illustration. I need you to uh, look at this real quick, because this is a picture of, we see Jesus on the cross, he always looks like this. Right? Hanging and then with a little diaper. But according to John, when he was crucified, he was crucified naked, because they took all his clothes. That means that the illustrator painted underwear on Jesus, because then nobody want to worship naked Jesus. But in reality, he was hanging there 
and it was all hanging out. And that's when it hit me. Can Jesus relate to the pain that sex has caused in my life? Absolutely. Why? Because Jesus knows what it feels like to have his naked body being used for someone else's benefit. Jesus knows what it feels like to have the people say, I love you. I'll never leave you. Leave you the moment you get undressed. He knows. He even knows what it feels like to have your purity stripped from you. I know I'm speaking to one in six women who have been raped. I know I'm speaking to one in ten people who have been abused as a child who you were pure until someone else did something to you. I think Jesus knows how you feel because up until that moment on the cross, he was pure. He was blameless, 100%. But on the cross, the Bible says he took all the sin of the world. Yours and mine, beginning and end. Are you getting it? He wasn't just stripped of his clothes when he died. He was stripped of his purity, stripped of his innocence, stripped of his holiness. He knows what it's like to be taken advantage of. And he even knows what it's like for sin to separate in a relationship between him and God. Because the Bible says that when he took on all that sin, because of his choices to die on the cross, the Bible says that he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, Father, where have you gone? I don't feel you. If you're in the room today and you know what that feels like, to be out of like a binge moment, to be out of something bad and then get on your knees and be like, are you even there? I can't even feel you. Jesus is like, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. But here's the big difference between you and Jesus, and that's that Jesus didn't experience his shame in a bedroom with the door closed. He didn't experience it in a dimly lit strip club in the back private room. He didn't experience it in the backseat of a car or an out-of-town trip. No, when Jesus hung naked, he hung naked for hundreds of people to see. Hundreds of people to point, hundreds of people to stare. Why? Why was that so important? Because when Jesus died on the cross, it's one of the most undertaught truths. He didn't just die to take away your sin, he died to take on your shame. Laugh at me, point at me, snicker at me, not them, me. I'm going to take that embarrassment. I'm going to take that shame. I'm going to take that guilt. I want to take that weakness. I want to take that bad feeling. If you're going to laugh, laugh at me. You want to mock, mock me. Remember looking at this picture, so mad at it. I was like, that's not even biblical. And I was like trying to think of some creative way to show you like a naked Jesus that wouldn't freak you out, but don't worry, I decided not to. That would really mess you up. <laughs> As I was trying to get creative about it, I felt like the Holy Spirit speak to me, and I felt the Holy Spirit said, I love that picture. I was like, God, why do you love that picture? It's, it's not biblical. And he's like, that may not be how it happened, but that is exactly what happened. I said, Holy Spirit, you have to break that down. This is me and the Lord all day. He confuses me. I said, you have to explain that to me, Lord. He said, it's true that that's not the way it happened. But it's what happened because when I died, when I put my hands out like that, because I did that, I was able to cover that. This part's me, but this part's you. And because I went through the pain, now I can take your shame. Today's message has made some of us feel naked, has made some of us feel exposed. And I just want to encourage you today. You're covered. You're covered. 
you're forgiven, you're healed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in the room today and you feel naked and you feel embarrassed and you feel ashamed, you feel hurt, you feel, you feel wounded, you've been hurt sexually, things have happened to you, you're wrestling with things and weaknesses and all of this, I want to encourage you right now. Listen, Jesus has come to cover your nakedness. I pray for healing right now. I can, see, I can hear the pain of the teenagers in the room today. I can hear the pain of women in their 30s and their 40s, moments that happened to them when they were younger, young men, older men, things that happened to them that are coming back right now. I want you to know that because of the cross, you are healed. Because of the cross, you are covered. Because of the cross, you have been forgiven. You are covered. You are covered. You are covered. No more shame. No more sin. No more weakness. No more embarrassment. You are covered in Jesus' name. If you're in this room today and you are far from God, you do not have a relationship with Jesus. Listen to me. It's time to let him cover you on the count of three. When I say three, now I believe the Holy Spirit's already working in people's lives, so receive that. Let him work on you right now. Let him work on you right now. If you're here on the count of three, you're ready to give your life to Jesus. I need you in my life all over this room. One, two. This is your moment. Fight that shame. Let him cover you. One, two, three. Come back home. Come back home. Raise your right hand high. Raise your right hand high. If that's you, I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. All over this building, I see your hand. I want you to repeat this prayer after me, whether you raise your hand or not. Everybody in this room, say, Father God, you're running. Catch me. I'm naked. Cover me. I give you my sin. I give you my shame. I give you my past. I give you my abuse. I give you my nakedness. I give you my attraction. Whatever you want to do in my life, I surrender to you. I love you. Forgive me. Make me whole again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.